please join us for the 11th episode of Bewitched. It takes one to know one. Bewitched, bothered and bewildered, am I? Welcome to Bewitched, Bothered and Bewildered our podcast about magical sitcoms from the 1960s. I'm Molly. And I'm Frank. And you're joining us for the 11th episode of Bewitched. It takes one to know one. But before we get started, we're going to give you a brief synopsis. After Endora finds photographs of beautiful women in Darren's briefcase, she tries to fan the flames of jealousy in Samantha. Samantha is not concerned, since she knows that Darren is searching for Miss Jasmine, the new face of Jasmine Perfume. However, when Darren finds the perfect model for the advertising campaign, he begins to fall under her spell. Excellent. Samantha's alone in the kitchen preparing breakfast when she finds photos of beautiful women in the frigidaire, in the bread box, and then finally in the toaster. That toaster one looks like a Sports Illustrated photograph. (laughs) None of these are spontaneous photos at all. They're very posed. They're all clearly modeling shots of beautiful women in various outfits. Remember bread boxes? Did you guys have a bread box? <laughs> we never had a bread box in our home. <laughs> oh, we didn't either. Probably a consequence of buying supermarket pre-sliced bread that always went into the fridge. I think we used to buy a lot of Wonder Bread. Mm-hmm. And I don't think that stuff goes bad. I don't think it does. <laughs> kind of like Twinkies. <laughs> like Twinkies. <laughs> Mother. Good morning, darling. Feeling you're trying to tell me something. She immediately calls for mother because yes. she can tell who's doing this. <laughs> and then Dora is laying over the partition between the kitchen and the dining room. Like a Cheshire cat. Yes. Those were in you know whose briefcase. <laughs> so? But don't you care if he carries pictures of other women? Mother, in the advertising business, other women are merely tools of the trade. Oh, blind faith is unbecoming to you, Samantha. Don't you understand? I trust Darren. And Dora's trying to start trouble. She says that she found those things in Darren's briefcase, which makes you wonder, like, what if your mother-in-law was going through your briefcase all the time? (laughs) Yes. So intrusive. I like that she's just rummaging through Darren's belongings. (laughs) His grubby mortal effects. Yeah, what's in his underwear drawer? (laughs) She never talks about that, but I'm sure she's been there. Oh, jeez. You wouldn't turn a child loose in a candy store, would you? Darren is not a child. Well, he's only human. Isn't that the excuse they always make for themselves? I'm only human. 
They know their limitations better than we do. Well, I don't think of Darren as being merely human. I think of him as being a cut above the ordinary mortal man. How can a witch of mine be so naive? Mother, will you please go away? Very well, very well. I'm leaving. But remember, Samantha, no mortal pulls the wool over a witch's eyes while I'm around. After the opening credits, Darren and Samantha are sitting down to breakfast. Darren is talking to Samantha about the Miss Jasmine campaign. He's coming up against his deadline. I've been looking at girls for weeks. Yes, I suppose that could get tiring after a while. You're not kidding. Which one do you like best? For what? Miss Jasmine, the perfume account. Oh, yes, of course. Well, let's see now. This one has lovely eyes. And this one has a beautiful mouth. This one has a great figure. Gee, I don't know. Why don't you just cut out the best piece of each one and paste them together like I used to do? She says she just would take the best parts of each one and put it all together, and Darren looks as if he's just married (laughs) Dr. Frankenstein like she was doing that when she was a kid. Yeah, Dick York pulls some of his really great classic Dick York faces in in this episode, and this is the first one where he looks completely horrified at Samantha's suggestion of cutting up the models and stitching them together. But then she explains she was just talking about when she cut up paper dolls when she was a kid. With paper dolls. I can't believe that witches actually played with paper dolls. Yeah. Why would they bother? Samantha, like her mother, is allegedly hundreds of years old. Maybe the toys of her youth were those of, I don't know, medieval times? Yeah, I suppose that could be true. Look, I'm serious, Sam. The campaign starts tomorrow, and we still haven't picked out a Miss Jasmine. Now, incidentally, we're going to have to forget about having lunch together today. Oh. How about tomorrow? Well, all right. As long as you promise to have lunch alone today and not enjoy it. I'll do better than that. I'll have lunch with Larry Tate and really be miserable. Then we move on to Darren's office. And Larry is looking through photographs of models. And he thinks that they're all beautiful, but no one is quite right for Ms. Jasmine. Oh, what do you think? Marvelous. Incredible. Some of the most gorgeous creatures I ever laid eyes on. But uh, I still haven't seen that uh, je ne sais quoi, that ethereal quality we need in a Miss Jasmine. And, of course, he takes the opportunity to take some mean-spirited pot shots at his wife, Louise. He's such a jerk. It's- <laughs> Every opportunity. Courage, old friend. Don't lose faith. We'll find her. Oh, I know that. I was just thinking about going home to Louise tonight. I don't know. After a week of looking at these, it all seems rather pointless somehow. (laughs) Now, Larry, you've got a lovely wife. I suppose so. Just like, oh, my God. He's so gross. He is a monster. He is a monster. Excuse me, Darren. I'm going out to try and wipe out the memory of all this. I never could stand too much of a good thing. And then the beautiful model, who is our guest star for the episode, walks into Darren's office. Janine Fleur. What does Fleur mean? Flower. Ah, of course. It seemed like a pretty obvious name. As we discover later in the episode, it's a cover name. But yes, Yes. we'll, we'll, we'll deal with that later. Yeah? I hoped you'd say that. Pardon? 
Aren't you looking for Miss Jasmine? I was. I mean, we are. Uh, uh, won't you sit down, Miss... Uh... Janine Fleur. Thank you. Janine Fleur is played by Lisa Seagram, who is a 28-year-old actress of no great pedigree, (laughs) except that she is very, very beautiful. Uh, She falls into that category of Julie Newmar type as a counterpoint to blonde beauties. She is a raven-haired beauty of the time. Yeah, I wasn't really that impressed. I don't think she's more beautiful than Samantha. I think she's beautiful in a different way than Samantha. Yeah, she is. In a cheap, tawdry sort of way. No. No. Have you done much modeling, Miss Fleur? I'm sure I could be everything you want. (laughs) In a Miss Jasmine, that is. You might. Yes, you just might. She's wearing like a, a rust sweater dress, turtleneck, which is interesting, turtleneck. That was an interesting choice. The moment Larry lays eyes on her, he's immediately captivated too. And I think this is right where we should start wondering if this isn't a spell of some sort, just because... That both Darren and Larry are instantaneously salivating at the sight of uh, beautiful Lisa Seagram? Yeah, they're just kind of wide-eyed and dumbfounded. So anyway, pretty, but I don't know if I would be dumbfounded. Mm Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm not the target audience for Lisa Seagram. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah, <laughs> neither one of us is. Is something wrong? Wrong? No. You may solve a very big problem for me, Miss Fleur. Janine. Oh, well? Wow. Well, I'm thinking exactly what you're thinking, Larry. I won't say anything if you won't. You've been very quiet tonight, sweetheart. You have a bad day at the office? Mm -hmm. So the scene shifts to the Stevens dining room where Samantha and Darren are having their after-dinner coffee. Yeah, what a thing after dinner coffee. I just read a whole giant book about sleep and trying to improve your sleep Mm -hmm. and, you know, all the science of sleep and whatnot. But drinking coffee in the evening is absolutely a bad idea. But it seems so elegant. It does seem elegant. As a kid, I loved the idea of after dinner coffee because it seems so adult and mature And it seemed to indicate that the evening is not over. You know, it means that maybe we go to a show after dinner or maybe we go dancing after dinner or maybe we go home and stay up after dinner. But it meant that you were sort of shrugging off the sleepy effects of a good meal and staying up all night. Wow, that's I never thought of it that way before. From the book that I was reading, some people are not affected by coffee in the same way as other people. They're like rapid metabolizers, and so they don't end up staying awake all night. But for most of us, if we drink a cup of coffee, it's got like a three to five hour half-life, something like that, which means if you drank it at 8 p.m., you would still be feeling the effects, you know, at four in the morning. So it totally ruins your ability to sleep. Mm. Maybe when I was younger, I had a rapid metabolism. 
I have a friend from Finland. She'll have wine with dinner and then she'll have like a strong cup of coffee and dessert afterwards. And she has absolutely no concern about the coffee bothering her at all. And so I wonder if she's a rapid metabolizer, but I just can't even think about drinking coffee at night. She also might be drinking five cups of coffee throughout the day. Yeah, I think she does drink. I think the Finns are a coffee culture. They drink strong coffee. All day long. And then they're just inured to the effects. Maybe. Well, the other thing that's different in this time are the coffee cups. They're literally six ounces. So they're they're tiny little cups. I think I learned that also from uh, buying an antique set of cocktail glasses. Martini glasses at that time were considerably smaller, not the gigantic uh, <laughs> bird baths that uh, you see the real housewives of fill in the blank hoisting with their overmuscled yoga arms that have like a gallon of vodka in them. The martini glasses and the coffee cups, everything was smaller. Yeah. It's almost as if there was a, a sense of moderation <laughs> that we don't, that we've <laughs> what? lost. <laughs> what? I don't know what that is. Anything new on Miss Jasmine? We found one. You did? Oh, that's marvelous. What'd she look like? Attractive. Attractive? You said you needed something gorgeous. Well, she's sort of gorgeous. She's blonde, I'll bet. No, not really. Samantha is very curious to hear details about Ms. Jasmine, and Darren evasively tries to keep his description of her business-like, but Sam presses him for additional details, which really alarm her. (laughs) Well, what'd she look like? Tall, straight nose, experience. Well, that could be Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) Samantha says that could be Abraham Lincoln. (laughs) That's a great... (laughs) It's a great line. (laughs) I said she was pretty. You said she was attractive. There's a difference. What's her name? Janine Fleur. Oh, sounds like perfume. Does she look like she sounds? You could say that. Well, I haven't seen her. What do you say? Yes. Yes what? She sounds like perfume. She looks like perfume. She even smells like perfume. You smelled her? No, of course not. Not deliberately. I mean, she's exactly what Larry and I have been looking for. Well, that's wonderful. Oh, you know, you were speaking about these guys drinking coffee. Mm -hmm. You thought of drinking coffee after dinner meant that you were going to go do other things. Yeah. And Samantha is saying to Darren after their coffee. Now, how'd you like to go to the movies, eat popcorn and smooch? And I was thinking when I saw that, what time is it? You know, he doesn't get home until eight o'clock because he works in New York City and has to commute back. Then they had dinner and coffee. Are they talking about going out at 10 o'clock at night? In Connecticut? In Connecticut to watch a movie? Did they even show movies that late? Yeah, sure. They're going to catch the late show. (laughs) The late show. And they're going to go make out in the the balcony. uh, Did you ever go to the movies just for the sole purpose of making out? I think when I was a teenager, I did. Hmm. I definitely went to the movies on dates. It's so nice. You know... I was <laughs> I was so dateless and also I was terribly terribly invested in the movies. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I don't think you could have distracted me with like a makeout session. Annoying you with this all the smooching. 
I think it wasn't until I went to Madison, Wisconsin, and I went out on a date with somebody, and we were holding hands, and I was really enjoying the movie, and I turned to him, and he was fast asleep, and I thought <laughs> to myself, this is perfect. <laughs> now I can enjoy this movie. <laughs> Speaking of dates in the movies, did I ever tell you about when I went to see the movie Carrie? Uh, you saw Carrie, uh, you, but you hate horror films. I do, but I went on a date. You know, it was when Carrie was opening, so I was like in high school. Okay. And I went on a date with this guy, Lee, and at the end, you know, when the hand pops out? Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. When the hand <laughs> pops out? Yes. He jumped and hit me in the face and gave me a bloody lip. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> so you emerged from that showing of Carrie looking like Carrie. Yeah, with a bloody lip. <laughs> with yeah. a bloody lip. Oh, God. <laughs> it's really memorable. <laughs> I wonder if he remembers it. Probably. Maybe he's repressed it. It's pretty embarrassing to be the guy. And to scream and throw your hands up and bloody your date's lip. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm certain that he remembers it because it's the most embarrassing dates that you always remember. Those are the ones that are tattooed on your brain. I would love to. But I've got to work on some exploitation ideas. So Darren politely declines Samantha's offer to go neck at the movie theater. And immediately, Endora pops in and warns her that all of her predictions are coming true. He's very evasive. That shows interest. He is only interested in that woman because of business. You better make it your business. Did you notice that he merely kissed you on your forehead? The next thing you know, he'll be patting your hand. <laughs> So Samantha and Darren are going to bed. It shows Darren laying in bed, obviously having a very pleasant dream. He's grinning giddily as he's sleeping. And Samantha walks in in a beautiful peignoir once again. Yes, it's a recycled peignoir from that episode, It Shouldn't Happen to a Dog. Yes, that's right. It's got the ruffly sleeves and the ruffly collar. If our listeners remember, this was the peignoir that Samantha was wearing when she ran out into the streets to chase after that dog, that rascally dog with the cold, wet nose. And the police nearly arrested her for indecent exposure. Which is so hilarious because it's incredibly modest, a long-sleeved nightgown. And voluminous. <laughs> the, it, 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 is, it is an outfit. It is. I would not want to sleep in that. It would just feel like I was sleeping in a ball gown or something. <laughs> Notes on Jasmine campaign. Janine Fleur, measurements 37, 23, 37. Wow. Sam stumbles across a list of handwritten notes that Darren has dropped by his bedside table. And they include a laundry list of descriptive adjectives for Ms. Fleur, including her measurements, which I don't understand, and his agenda for her photo shoot. Her measurements are 37, 24, 37? Yes. So that's bust, waist, and hips, 
And those are quite rare measurements for a woman. Extreme hourglass. Kind of Barbie. Did you have Barbies? I did. I had a midge. What the hell is a midge? A midge is Barbie's friend. No, I thought that was Skipper. Skipper is Barbie's younger sister. Oh, shit. All right. Midge was her friend, and she had sort of a beehive hairdo. Midge went away. Because she was such a tramp? I only had Midge because I was old. (laughs) They they had to recall Midge? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) After she was caught (laughs) coming out of the Planned Parenthood? She was definitely Barbie's less attractive friend. Oh, she was a duff. Yeah. Yeah, I had a big suitcase full of Barbie clothes that were very much like, you know, 1960s Chanel suits and Mm -hmm. gowns and stuff like that. I love Barbies. That was fun. I think I was asking mainly because I never really thought of her dimensions. You know, lots of gay boys dream of playing with Barbies and they turn into adult gay men who happily collect Barbies. But I was never in either camp And as a result, my Barbie ignorance is pretty extreme. I never thought of her as being especially busty. Oh, yes. Very busty. Just take a look at a picture of a Barbie and think about it. She's definitely very busty. All right. I'll take your word for it. Adjectives to be used in copy describing her. Provocative, dazzling, ethereal. Personally supervised photographs for campaign. Get headshots featuring her large, soft, dark eyes. Get night shots at beach. Moonlight. He wants to shoot Janine Fleur by moonlight, which seems really impractical for an advertising campaign. It does. It's all, you know, there's so much sex in this. (laughs) Janine Fleur thing. I mean, that could happen now with our photograph technology, but that lighting would be very tricky. I think the idea is that he wants to shoot her at night because nighttime is for hanky-panky. Right. Janine holding perfume bottle in her long, slender fingers should be irresistible in a bikini. Samantha gets into a bit of a huff and goes over and shakes him awake and says he was having a nightmare. (laughs) What happened? You were having a nightmare. Didn't seem like one. I say it was. I know a nightmare when I see one. Go back to sleep, dear. The next scene has her laying on a bearskin. We find Janine and Darren in the studio for the photo shoot. It looks like a funeral parlor. It does. It's a really cheap setup. <laughs> there's a velvet curtain and there's like a big floral arrangement. You, you could see Liberace playing like a, a disco ball piano in front of this. Yeah, there's just like some blue cushions. It looks like they took seat cushions off folding chairs and threw them <laughs> down on the floor for her to lounge around on. It's not particularly well done. No. It seems tossed together. The photographer and Darren are hunched behind a big black sheet that's hanging off the back of an enormous camera. They're kind of fighting for the viewfinder. Correct. Well, I'd like to change her position just a bit. Vegas? There, Janine, why don't you try your hand up here just stroking the bear's nose? Uh, Thank you. That bear looks horrible, too. (laughs) So first of all... 
I like taxidermied stuff generally. Taxidermy is really not permanent. Old taxidermy gets pretty crusty and, you know, you can sort of (laughs) slow the decay with all these chemicals and special things you do with taxidermy. But if you look at some dusty old taxidermy in an antique shop, it's pretty gnarly. (laughs) And that bear just, to me, I I feel like I could smell that bear skin rug from here. (laughs) It just smells like somebody's moldy old basement. (laughs) Hey, it was in the back of the prop shop. (laughs) <laughs> that bearskin rug made at least a dozen cameos on Wagon Train and Gunsmoke. I bet. <laughs> that bearskin rug has a better IMDb page than Lisa Seagram, the guest star of this episode. <laughs> I bet it does. <laughs> I bet it does. Ugh. Hold it. Thank you. Is that lunch? Go ahead. Lunch, Janine. Oh, wonderful idea. I'm starving. Where shall we go? We? I'm afraid I can't. I'm meeting my wife. Oh. Well, I wouldn't ask you or interfere, except that it's... Well, never mind. Women, to get attention, always have to have some sort of emotional crisis. Yeah. And just says just enough to manipulate Darren into canceling his lunch date with Samantha. Doesn't take much, apparently. No, it really doesn't. Well, what is it? Well, it's probably foolish, but I think you'd better get another Miss Jasmine. Another Miss Jasmine? What for? Now, hold it. I think we better talk about this. But your lunch. I'll cancel it. Oh, please don't do that because of me. My wife will understand. She knows that at the moment, the most important thing in the world is jasmine perfume. Now, why don't you go and change, and I'll give her a call. All right, I'll hurry. Then we see Samantha at home in her lovely pink suit. Hello? Oh, hi, darling. I was just leaving. So she has a white person, gloves, and a pink suit. Just adorable. What? Oh, no, no, I understand. Yes, well, you go ahead. I'll see you tonight. This is becoming an extremely stock scene in Bewitched, and we'll see it again and again, where Darren cancels plans with Samantha. It's always for work. I hate that sort of dynamic that she's always waiting on him. I, I hate that sort of subservient position that she's chosen to live in. Isn't Stephen always waiting on you? Uh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Stephen waits for no man. <laughs> no, he does not. What about Brian? Does he wait for you? No. No, I think we've got very independently minded husbands. We do. If you doubt it, go back and listen to the Husbands episode of I Dream of Genie, the Americanization of Genie. Right after Darren cancels, Endora pops in to gloat. Well, well, well. All dressed up and nowhere to go. I am going to have lunch with Darren. Really? One of these days when he's not too busy. Oh, I understand, dear. No, you don't. You think my husband broke a date with me because he's taking another woman to lunch? I haven't said a word. Well, it's business. Oh, yes, of course. Well, I was going to suggest that perhaps we could have lunch together. Sam is super wise to her and picks up on exactly what her scheme is. Oh, certainly. You know where Darren is, so you're going to take me there and bring me face-to-face with him to prove your point. I never suggested (laughs) Well, I'm not going to do it. Very well. But I'll tell you what I am going to do. What? I am going to take you there and bring you face-to-face with Darren to prove my point. Wait for me, Samantha. 
So at the fancy restaurant, Andorra and Sam materialize and sit at a reserved table. The waiter is wearing a bow tie mm-hmm. and kind of like a, what would you call that jacket? It's like a tails. It's It reminds me of a tuxedo, but of course it's not. It's a... It's like a livery. Yeah, that's what it seems like. And it has a cloth napkin draped over his arm with a tray. There's all kinds of antique furniture and a fireplace, golden statues on top of the mantle. So it's all very classic. And kind of stuffy. Yeah, early American kind of fancy. This does not seem remotely chic, but... No. Endora is thrilled that they have Coquille Saint-Jacques on the menu. Which is one of my favorite, favorite things. This is a classic French dish. Yeah, there's a restaurant in town that where we had our wedding reception that serves it. And there it's mashed potatoes on a seashell, a scallop shell. And then there's scallops on top of that. And there's a lemony bechamel sauce, like a white wine sauce over it. And the scallops are broiled, correct? Yes. So that's a very contemporary recipe for that dish. I think the classic dish includes breadcrumbs and sort of a grated toasted cheese on top of it as well. This one didn't have cheese at all, but I would try the cheesy one too. Mm-hmm. It all sounds delicious. Yeah, it doesn't seem like you could go wrong with those ingredients. Um, so Samantha and Endora pop into the restaurant. Endora is wearing a brooch. This is actually the second time that we've seen this brooch. Oh, is it really? When was the first one? So the first time that we saw Endora wear this was in the episode Be It Ever So Mortgaged, where she was wearing a different outfit, but that brooch was so memorable. I actually went back and double-checked, and in fact, it's the same brooch. It's very grand and jeweled and looks vaguely nautical. I would totally wear that brooch, (laughs) even today. I just am a really big fan of large bejeweled pins, costume jewelry. It's part of my kitsch fascination. I love it. And what's the rest of Endora's mortal outfit? She's wearing a black turtleneck, Mm -hmm. and then she's got a wool plaid jacket over it that's got gigantic collars on it. She's grand and a bit arty and a bit more in the avant-garde range of clothing at the time, especially for a woman of her age. I agree. I, I like your use of the word arty. Oh. <laughs> Seriously, it's, it's actually what I think of when I see Andorra yeah. disguised as a mortal. Yeah, a little poetic, sophisticated. Samantha and Andorra see Darren with his date, Ms. Fleur, sitting across the restaurant, and Sam is momentarily shaken... But she slowly begins to recognize who Ms. Fleur really is. I guess it just shows that she can be shaken. Yeah. That Endora really is probing at some weak spot in her that she does have some fear that her man will go for one of these sexy models. Well, to, to be fair to Samantha, she's been pretty much under a nonstop onslaught of this suggestion from Endora. Oh, yes. I don't blame her for the belief, but for all of her confidence... She definitely wavers at times, but it yeah. only takes a moment before she figures out that she knows who the girl is. So Sam gets up and she spins in place and she recites a spell that freezes all of the humans in the restaurant. Lindor, Rabamanthus, Insecta. 
That sounds like something out of Harry Potter. It does sound like something. Incepta, that, I wonder if they even use that word in Harry Potter. Possibly. Yeah. Maybe J.K. Rowling is a fan. Would make sense. Sam walks over and calls out Miss Fleur, who is actually a witch named Sarah Baker. So Sarah Baker to me is a very kind of Mayflower name. Absolutely. Their heritage always is like the poshest mortals of the time. The big thing when you're a mortal is to claim that your family came over on the Mayflower, that you're somehow related to people from the Mayflower. And I remember that from my grandma. Not that we were Mayflower people, but we were related to some early American generals. When they reveal her name, I was a little bit taken aback by how prosaic and ordinary her name sounds, Sarah Baker. But when you think about it, Sarah is a name that comes up a great deal in the Salem Witch Trials as well. There is a Sarah Good, Sarah Osborne, Sarah Cloyce, Sarah Bassett, Sarah Buckley, Sarah Peace. Sarah Rice, uh, Sarah Bishop, Sarah Wilds. There, there were a lot of Sarahs, a really common name amongst the early colonialists. And yeah, Baker also, it has that ring of Daughters of the American Revolution and uh, all those early, early settlers. And, and Salem is the main thing that I was thinking of. Definitely. Early American stock. Well, now, I must say I've had enormous respect for Darren's taste up until now. Now, just a moment, Blythe Spirit. Watch your tone, my gal. You're speaking to my daughter. So Janine calls Sam Blythe Spirit. What does that mean? There was a great Noel Coward play called Blythe Spirit. It's really, really great. If you have a chance to watch the movie, I totally recommend it. I think it's his only play that is actually supernatural, And it's about a husband and wife, a widow and a widower, who are very well-to-do in rural England. If I died, I wonder how long it would be before you married again. You won't die. You're not the dying sort. Neither was Elvira. Oh, yes, she was. Now I come to think of it, she had a certain ethereal, not quite of this world quality. Nobody could call you even remotely ethereal. Nonsense. She was of the earth earthy. Yes, well, she is now, anyhow. You know, that's the kind of observation that shocked people. Discouraging to think how many people are shocked by honesty and how few by deceit. Write that down. You might forget it. You underrate me. Anyhow, it was a question of bad taste more than honesty. I was devoted to Elvira. We were married five years. She died. I missed her very much. That was seven years ago. And I've now, with your help, my love, risen above the whole thing. The husband begins to get haunted by his first wife. Are you a, a ghost? I suppose I must be. It's all very confusing. What do you keep looking over there for? Look at me. What's happened? Don't you see? See what? Elvira. Elvira? Yes. Elvira, dear, this is Ruth. Ruth, this is Elvira. Look, Charles, if this is a joke, it's gone far enough. Now sit down and don't be idiotic. Oh, what am I to do? What? devil am I to do? Well, I really think you might be a little more pleased to see me. After all, you conjured me up. I didn't do any such thing. Nonsense. Of course you did. It's nothing but cocktails and slings and witty barbs and just sparkling dialogue as this ghost plays havoc with their lives. The ghost is the blithe spirit who is very jealous of the new woman on the scene who has supplanted her. 
I totally did not know what any of that meant until you just explained it to me. Oh, great. <laughs> I wonder I wonder how many people picked up on that Bly's spirit thing. I know I've heard the expression before, but I didn't know what it meant. Well, if you have a chance to see it, I totally recommend it and watch it with a pitcher of Manhattans or martinis on hand. <laughs> it will enhance the experience. Oh, really? Well, now look who's suddenly so concerned. What does that mean? Pay no attention to her, Samantha. You seem suddenly terribly solicitous for someone who is so anxious for me to test your mate's metal. Mother! There's one thing I cannot abide. It's a stool pigeon. Just what did you think you were going to prove by sicking this broom rider on Darren? Easy, Samantha. Be careful what you say. Well, you haven't proved a thing. Even Sir Galahad wouldn't be safe with her. So Samantha says that even Sir Galahad would not be safe with Sarah Baker. Sir Galahad, who was the most pure and gallant of King Arthur's Knights of the Round Table. I like the reference because Camelot, the musical, was very recently produced at this point in the early 60s and would be at the forefront of any theater-going, culture-loving household like the Stevenses. It was JFK's favorite musical. The cast album was played in the White House nightly. My friend, Wendy Smith, their family had the record album, the LP. So we used to play dress up and mm-hmm. sing and dance to that record album. I love that album. That's, yeah. That album is great. It's uh, Julie Andrews before she became famous for Mary Poppins, but after she became famous for being the original star of My Fair Lady, was amazing as Queen Guinevere. So back to our show. Indeed. Sarah Baker reveals that Endora is the one who put her up to seduce Darren. Because really, why else would a beautiful, sexy (laughs) witch want anything to do with Darren? Yes. Once again, I'm reminded that Darren, although he's supposed to be like a real sex symbol in this... I don't know if he is. ...never really struck me as attractive. No, not remotely. It's kind of a funny-looking dude, really. If anything, in in the scene that we're talking about, when the entire restaurant of humans is frozen, he's just stuck in the most unfortunate expression. He looks really, really unattractive. Yeah. I think I mentioned this to you before, but it seems to me that if I were to do this to my daughter, like try and tempt her husband with women... It's unfathomable that that a mother would behave this way. It's just a most despicable kind of way to treat your daughter. We did talk a little bit about this. The idea that Endora is constantly testing Darren's fidelity by putting temptation in his way as a ongoing secret test of his character is kind of unforgivable, and yet Samantha kind of accepts this as just a character flaw of her mother's that she's not happy about, but she's not going to really let it change her relationship. So as much as I dislike Darren, and usually we're talking about can we forgive Darren in this episode, we really should be thinking about why we so easily forgive Andorra. It's true. And it's interesting, the entire like test of fidelity, because... Fidelity is clearly not something important to witches and definitely not to Endora herself. Look at her own marriage. 
but I think she is trying to teach Sam something to be a little bit more cynical and less trusting and that it's somehow inappropriate for her to be dewy-eyed and smitten with her husband. And I think she's just trying to knock her off her perch, but she obviously loves her daughter. This is one of those cases, I think, where you're trying to hurt somebody to help them, which I never think works out especially well. No. It's one of the things I definitely try to just not think about about the show that I love because I really don't like this part. Back in the Stevens kitchen, Sam gets a phone call from Darren that he's coming home late because he has a business meeting. And Endora and Sam discuss her predicament. Mother, what am I going to do? You have no choice. I guess not. I suppose every woman has to face this at one time or another. Darren will just have to be on his own with no help from anyone. Yes, but darling. And so will I. The next scene is at Darren's office at McMahon and Tate. Larry is leaving for the day. He's got his briefcase in hand. All finished? Almost. Uh, How are things coming with Miss Jasmine? Hmm? Okay, Larry, I think we're getting some good layouts. Fine. Darren enlists him to go to Janine Fleur's apartment. He doesn't want to be alone with Miss Jasmine. He needs a chaperone. Yeah, he needs a chaperone. <laughs> In fact, Larry's initially really excited at the idea, and then he's really upset to hear that <laughs> that he's basically just coming along to chaperone. You always presume that if Larry has a moment or a chance to be unfaithful or to act like a sexist playboy kind of uh, predatory boss, that he will. A friend of mine who listens to the podcast was mentioning how much our descriptions of Larry remind her of Roger Sterling on Mad Men. Oh, see, I never watched Mad Men. I was not a regular viewer either. And I tend to think of that actor having a lot more sex appeal than David White. Well, Larry just looks like somebody's grandpa. He does. He does. Maybe the behavior of that character on Mad Men offsets his attractiveness. I'd be curious to know what our, our listeners think. I brought Larry along to approve some of these changes you asked me to come over and make. Yes, of course. Uh, may I fix you both a drink? Yes, no, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> just a little one. Oh, fine. So Janine Fleur is obviously unhappy that Larry's there. At her apartment, yes. She's wearing a lilac-colored dress. It's interesting. All of her garments are high-necked, but I think that they're meant to be very tight, form-fitting. She uh, spikes both drinks, Darren's with a love potion, and Larry's with a sleeping spell. So if she's such a powerful seductress, why does she have to use all this magic? No, it's like second nature, I guess. I guess so. Are they all right? Mine's wonderful. I think I'll lay down and take a nap. (laughs) Meantime, I'll take care of Janine. Isn't it getting crowded in here? Sarah, I'm going to lay it right on the line with you. I love my husband, and I also have a great deal of faith in him. Oh, is that why you're here? Looking after him? He can take care of himself. As long as you don't pull anything fancy. I don't know what you're talking about. But Sarah just can't seem to seal the deal without magic. Samoan lotus leaf. (laughs) Now, at least let him act of his own free will. I thought you had more pride than that. Believe me, Samantha, I have no need of help. 
Well, if I'm going to lose Darren to something like you, it's probably better that I find it out now. Remember what I said, his own free will. At this point, Janine moves her seduction game over to this really fascinating ottoman. <laughs> Why don't we sit over here? The light's a bit better. Oh, fine. Uh, come on over, Larry. Bye. It's a round ottoman with a flat top. It's like mink covered. Again, fur. Yeah. As a call sign of sexiness. So there's a fire and fur. Janine throws something on the fire and Larry suddenly leaves. In this case, Samantha doesn't pop back, but she just keeps untwitching all of the twitches that Janine does, which, of course, flies in the face of what we learn about magic at other times in this series. What we learn about magic when Aunt Clara goofs something up is that no one else can undo her spell except her. Right. But in this case, Samantha seems to be able to undo all of Janine's spells. What did you say? I said I want to kiss you more than anything else in the world. Go ahead. That wasn't funny, Samantha. Well, I warned you. Darren turns into a fish. Really ugly fish, too. And then Samantha turns him into uh, a tiny goldfish. Just so she can put him in her pocket and take him home. Now, if you'll excuse me, I'd just soon keep my husband alive. Get out of here or I'll... You'll what? Samantha kind of challenges Janine to a fight. You know what I'm capable of doing. I'd say we were pretty evenly matched. Sort of reduces us to the human level, doesn't it? How would you like a poke in the nose? I'm not a brawler. I didn't think so. Pardon the intrusion. She snaps him back to be himself, so she doesn't really take him home. She just makes it look as if Janine threw a a whole pitcher of water on him. In the end, Darren leaves of his own accord, but Sam has to help Larry get out of there because Larry, bespelled or not, is not going to leave of his own volition. No, Larry will hang around trying to cheat. Absolutely, he will. (laughs) Well, I'll see you tomorrow, Janine. But, Darren, we have things to talk about. Well, I don't mind breaking lunch and dinner dates with my wife or something important, but uh, there's nothing here that can't be fixed down at the office. Are you coming, Larry? No, you run along. You're absolutely right. Samantha must be concerned about you. (laughs) Yourself. Well, uh... Now, Miss Fleur, suppose we talk about your problems. Now what? I realize that this is none of my business, Sarah, but Louise Tate happens to be a very dear friend. Some other time, my wife is waiting for me, too. Oh, yes, if you can't stay, I understand. Then I wish you'd explain it to me. All right, we're back to the pussy bow. Oh, yeah, so (laughs) bring us home, Molly. This is the final scene of this episode. Come in. We're at Darren's office at McMahon and Tate, and we've got the return of the dreaded pussy bow pink coat. Hello, darling. Hi, sweetheart. Well, it's a giant shapeless coat that was all the rage at the time to have a large bow or collar. I don't know how to describe the shape. It's hideous. <laughs> it offends you hate me. The coat. Yeah, you <laughs> oh hate my the god. Coat. 
giant buttons on it too. Ugh. It looks very childish. Oh, it's vile. <laughs> oh, I've got it written right there on my calendar in big red letters. Lunch, my wife, urgent. Good. <laughs> oh, is that Miss Jasmine? Yeah, that's her. Let's go, dear. Samantha comments on the billboard mock-up of Ms. Jasmine perfume, and Darren seems none the wiser. And as they leave, Samantha throws a hex over her shoulder. She defaces Sarah's photo with a goatee, cross eyes, some fangs, and some bad ears. Yes. Proving that even Sam can be a little bit petty sometimes. Yeah, petty. Definitely petty. I mean, not as bad as her parents. No, definitely not as bad as her parents. Our typical Can You Forgive Darren part of the episode really doesn't seem to fit here because every time that Darren was being unfaithful to Sam in the show, it clearly was the result of magic. Too true. Can you forgive Larry Tate? Well, never. We can never forgive Larry Tate because he's just a jerk. We actually have to stop asking that question (laughs) because uh, we're going to get to be way too one note on it. Should we possibly in an episode like this consider can we forgive Endora? That is the one part about this episode that perplexes me the most. It just, I just, as I said earlier, can't reconcile that. And I think I mostly just suppress it because I love the character of Endora so much. But it really is a a horrible thing that she does here. Trying to break her daughter's heart with a spouse's infidelity just seems very below the belt. Agreed. It, if she were successful, then she would just humiliate Samantha and hurt her terribly. I don't get it. I guess it's just a way to make a TV plot. Because if you think about it, if we have these fidelity themes, we can have beautiful young models. And maybe that means that when people in the 1960s were watching the show, that the husbands would pull up a chair as well (laughs) to get a load of Miss Jasmine, even though the storyline is really quite a feminine storyline. Oh, I think I hear the music. Must be time for us to go. Thank you for joining us. Please join us again next week for another episode of Bewitched. In the meantime, you can catch other shows on the Piwacket Network. The Brothers Grimmer with Bert and Fran. Molly, we're on iTunes now. That's so exciting. I know. It's like we're a real legitimate podcast. (laughs) We've been doing these shows now for just under two years We're going to encourage everyone to share our podcast and to listen, rate, and comment. So here's a comment from Midwest Mark. He says, I love this series as I grew up watching these shows and Frank and Molly do such a great job of deconstructing the shows and reflecting on our culture of the time. Thanks, Mark. Thanks, Mark. That's awesome. Wonderful. Until next time. Until next time. Bewitched, Bothered, and Bewildered is a production of the Piwacket Podcast Network. Our opening song is sung by Melissa Arning. A special thanks to Melissa for letting us use it.
like a Cheshire cat. Yes. Cheshire. You said Cheshire. Is it? I always said Cheshire. That's probably because I'm from Minnesota. Hmm. I don't know how to say those words. Cheshire. Cheshire or Cheshire. Is it the Pirates of the Caribbean or the Pirates of the Caribbean, Molly? I I think I say it both ways. <laughs> I think it depends on my mood. I think that Walt Disney has had us all mispronouncing things. <laughs> well, I would have said Pirates of the Caribbean, but if I said, are you going on vacation, are you going to the Caribbean? Right. Yeah, right? <laughs> exactly. Remember when later on when they have that thing where one of the characters is an enchanted bed warmer that they find at a museum? I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, <laughs> sorry. There's a later episode where... Can you please preface these kinds of comments with spoiler alert? <laughs> this is a spoiler alert. <laughs> I, think it's, I think it's later on, a couple of years later, when they're in Salem mm. and they go to like a little museum and a bed warmer, I think, follows Samantha out. A bed warmer. Trying what, to get unenchanted. You're talking like like a hot water bottle or something? No, they used to have like, it was like a pan. A bed pan? With a long handle and you'd put coals in it and then the, you'd set it in the bed and it would warm up the bed before you got in. You, you've just given a beautiful description and I still have no idea what that is. <laughs> I, I well, would not recognize it if I saw it. Yeah, it's like a, it's like a brass... Or a metal... Frying pan? No, I guess it's a little bigger than a frying pan, but it's got a long handle like a broom. All right. And you put hot coals in it, and then you put it in your bed. And then later when you go in your bed, because your bedroom at that time would have been 30 degrees, Mm -hmm. then your bed is is so warm it'll burn your skin. (laughs) I feel like my... uh, My gay card is going to get revoked. Clearly, I should know this just from (laughs) antiquing. Of course you should. It's the <laughs> colonial kind of antiquing. I'm trying to figure out what the je ne sais quoi they're looking for for Miss Jasmine is. Larry says it's an ethereal quality. So poetic. Yeah, a little poetic for Larry Tate. Well, I mean, uh, it's funny because we look back on this and we think that this is the time of mad men, of Madison Avenue advertising men who lived life so chauvinistically and voraciously on their terms, and we don't usually uh, equate that with any sort of restraint, but in that mild sense that, you know, (laughs) that beverages, both alcoholic and non-alcoholic, were considerably smaller, it's, it's something curious to take note of. Yeah. It feels a little anachronistic. It does. Definitely does. So... So they, then they get into this thing about he says she was pretty and she said, you said she was attractive. There's a difference. Is there a difference? <laughs> Is there a scale of attractiveness that we can describe in adjectives? Yeah, because she says, I, I thought she had to be gorgeous. So they use gorgeous, attractive, pretty, and there's all these differences. It reminds me of that Smilla's sense of snow. <laughs> Where there are 20 different words for snow. That's like oh, yeah. the opening of the book, <laughs> is that the people, wherever that is, that might be Finnish as well, or Swedish maybe, but they say there's 20 different words for snow. I think it's Danish. It's funny, because I was just watching Dancers with my granddaughter, who's three, and she kept saying, it's so pretty, it's so pretty. She would never use the word gorgeous. Well, it's the same way that I would never use the word fabulous. 
Right. Because I don't feel fabulous. Well, fabulous is sort of a dumb word in my mind. I don't like it. I I was never fond of it. No. It's funny how drinking in media very often right now is meant to put you off the concept of drinking, but it makes me want to drink. I, 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 I am so Pavlovian in my response to watching people drink or get drunk in movies or TV that, that I don't, I don't know that's exactly the desired effect. So a friend of ours sent an email out because they were inviting us to a pub crawl. Oh, it was like a Easter pub crawl, Easter bonnet. So I think what this meant was that we would put on Easter bonnets on a Sunday and go do a pub crawl. And I'm like, what? That sounds like a game for the young. I, right. No, I, I have no, I, it's more power to them if they can do that. <laughs> but, you know, like. I can't. I just can't imagine going into work Monday morning hungover because I was in an Easter bonnet pub <laughs> crawl the day before, all day on Sunday. It's just not in me anymore. <laughs> I, I can't do it. Stop asking Molly to do these things. She doesn't want to do them. <laughs> I can't do that. I'm, I'm just not made for that anymore. And can you invite me instead, please? I'm so lonely. <laughs> yeah, do you have an Easter bonnet? No, no, <laughs> don't. It is beautiful and ridiculous. <laughs> yes. And her hair is tied back with a bow. That's she probably nice. has false eyelashes on, too. <laughs> probably, probably. <laughs> I would never have thought of you as somebody who would want to play with Barbies. I desperately wanted to play with an Easy Bake Oven, and I desperately wanted to play the uh, uh, Parker Brothers mystery date game. Oh, where you would get a date that was a guy. Oh, yes. Oh, I totally wanted to play that. And also, I did covet the strawberry shortcake dolls that were scented uh, as strawberry shortcake and blueberry muffins, and, you know, I, I was, you know... You were just hungry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you know, what's funny about these witches is that a lot of times um, they're... Is there an alarm going off behind you? It's it's geese. There's geese in my yard. (laughs) Okay, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I thought maybe it was like an alarm or something like that. But you you may want to... uh, mention if there's a lot of sound trouble from that that I have a Brian is trying to get rid of the geese so he has he has like a cutout of an angry dog okay it's like a metal cutout of an angry dog that spins around in the wind down there and it's supposed to scare the geese away and he like moves it it all around the yard and the geese are just standing right next to it honking they don't care are they honking angrily at it or are they just no, kind of ignoring No, they're just honking in their... a way to annoy Brian, I think. They just know he's up here. <laughs> Didn't work. Saying. Try again. <laughs> yeah, we get tons of geese, and uh, Brian finds them super offensive. He really dislikes them. I don't really notice them, but there there is goose poop all over the back. I, I would definitely notice that, and Chowder loves to eat goose poop. 